He's paid for your body so that through your body, he lives out his life. And he wants to do that every day, everywhere, no matter what you are doing. So whatever you do, whatever you do, I want you to know it is 100% spiritual. Amen. Whether you're playing soccer, whether you're a comedian, rocket scientist, homekeeper, mother, father, teacher, preacher, whatever you do. And also, you need to understand none of these things, whether you're a preacher, a mother, homemaker, none of them is more spiritual than the other. I am not more spiritual for standing here than you are sitting over there. Why? Because Christ is your life. It takes the same Christ for me to stand to speak as it takes for you to sit and listen. Please, this, these troops, over the next few weeks, they are going to be transformational. But not only that, I am preparing us for a season that I'm trusting God for when the supernatural occurrence will be just come on. In order for that to happen, there are certain things we must know and understand. Any given one of us, any given day, she will be able to heal the sick, raise the dead, open blind eyes, cause the limb to walk. Why? Christ is our life. Now, if that is true, and it is true, what I did not say last week that I need to say today, this concept or this truth is one of the most powerful submissions for which sin should not be a factor. Because when I have the awareness of the indwelling presence of God in my life, 24-7, everywhere I am, no matter where I am, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, as I engage my colleague at work in talking, I'm aware that Jesus stands in the midst. I'm going to be more watchful what I say. My words will be more seasoned in grace. I'm not going to look at a woman in an inordinate fashion because I know that God is looking through my eyes. I'm not going to engage in any activity that does not glorify him because I know what? In that activity, Christ is involved in it. This is where grace helps us to stop sinning. Yes. Because it's now a, an increased awareness of God's presence living through us 24-7. What you are thinking, what you are doing, what you are saying, all of a sudden is all factored by the fact that Christ is in you, doing it through you. Does that make sense? As you focus on him, Sin becomes less attractive. Absolutely. Effortlessly, as you focus on his presence in you, sin loses its appeal to your life. No doubt about it. Okay. So today, this morning, let me, let me go to killer truth number two. Number two. And that is, God loves you. Now, you see, we, we throw these things out, we've used these words, but I'm not really sure that we've ever really come to the understanding of that, what, what that means. I was in Nigeria, I think, last month, and my cousin who works at a pharmaceutical company, the second largest one in the country, invited me to come and speak to their employees. 
They have a devotional every Friday. And I went, I spoke, and after the speaking, it took me all over the company, you know, all the offices, one by one, explaining this and that. And I'm following him around, and he's showing me all these places. And then finally, the last spot on the penthouse of this seven-story building was the chairman's office, chairman of the corporation. And we went in through there, and we got to the chairman's office. The man was not there. His receptionist was there. Huge, large office. And he's showing me this and that. And then as he's doing that, the chairman walks in on us. Something I said, oh, whoa, this is awkward. And the man greeted me, wanted to know how much longer I'm in town, invites me to lunch. No questions asked. Why are you, what are you doing in my office? So when, when we stepped out of the office, I said to Small, I said, Small, that was your chairman? He said, yes. Did you need permission to come in his office? He said, no. And the way the man greeted me, he didn't seem alarmed that his employee had a stranger in his quote-unquote chairman's office. There was no alarm. There were no questioning. There were... So I said to him, I said, you just walked to the chairman's office. No questions. The receptionist didn't stop you. Didn't ask what you were looking for. Didn't ask you about who you're bringing. Just like that? He said, yeah. He said, that's the culture here. He said, we are totally open and transparent. He said, look around you. There are no office doors that are locked. All of them are wide open. Every one of them. And then he struck me. He said to me, he said, Pastor, when we hire anybody to come to, to work in this company, we don't tell them what to do or what not to do. Hear this. He said, automatically any of them that does not fit our culture ejects themselves. Oh, you didn't get it. They don't have rules. But when you get there and your life is a closed life and you are not transparent and you are not open, you find yourself among the people that say, what do you mean? I don't fit in this place. And you quit. You resign. So it struck me. They have established a corporate culture in that whole environment that's affected everybody. So they don't, they don't need rules and regulations to tell you what to do. Once you get there, you see it, you either feed in or you get out. I'm saying all of that to say about the kingdom of God. The culture of the kingdom of God is love and we need to get it. It is going to be foundational to everything that happens to us in this dispensation. Amen? Now please go with me to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew 22. God loves us. Does anybody believe that this morning? Yes. <laughs> Matthew 22. Verse. First 35. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all your mind. This 
is the first and great commandment. Now, let me say this to us. In order to fully understand Jesus' teaching, all of those things in a red print in the scripture, you need to understand this. Jesus preached two distinct messages. He preached the message of the law to those who were born and living under the law, precisely the Jewish people. That's number one. And secondly, he preached the message of grace to the Gentiles. Gentiles are people that were born outside of Israel, to the Gentiles, to you and me, and to everyone else that's been born since the cross. Did you get what I just said? He preached two messages. And it is very important that you and I become good stewards of the word of God, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, where the Bible talks about how we should uh, rightly divide the word of truth. It's very, very, because if you don't do that, many times you take a scripture or a message that's applicable to one group of people and try to make it applicable to your situation. The Bible is written for me and you, but it's not all written to me and you. Ooh, did you hear what I just said? It's written for us, but everything in there is not written to you. Wow. Okay, I may need to explain that. I may need to explain that. So when Jesus said Jesus wept, should we have a weeping service here now? The Bible gives us a broad paint of information. But everything there is not for you today. It's not to you today. Should we say today, please allow me, just excuse, excuse this is going to be a little graphic, that all the ladies that are in their monthly time should not come to church now? Should not sit on chairs. Hello? It's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. Why don't you do it? Jesus said if your eye offends you, you should remove it. Any takers here this morning? You saw the car driving down the road. It was a Tesla. You said, wow, look at that car. I wish I had one like that. You're coveting the car. Jesus said, your eyes are you. Remove it. Why are you not doing that? It's written for you, but it's not written to you. Amen? Study to show yourself approved unto God. A workman that's not ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So what I'm saying to you is, whenever you read the scriptures, particularly during the Matthew, Mark, Luke, John era, you need to know who is this being spoken to? Why is this speaking to them? Is it applicable, applicable to me today? Going back to the text, Matthew 22. The man came to Jesus, which is the greatest commandment of the law. And Jesus answers him, 
Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all of your heart, with all of your body, and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest command. Question to you very smart grace students. Is this the correct answer for this dispensation? Ooh. The answer is in the book. The question the man was asking, what is the greatest commandment under the law? It is a very specific question. Which is the greatest commandment under what, sir? Under the law. Under the law of Moses. Under the dispensation of the law. And which answer did Jesus give him? He gave him a law answer. The answer Jesus gave is a direct quote from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. Go there for me. Wow, I thought you guys are already on a great strain. The question is so, so pointed. Which is the greatest commandment under the law, in the law? Look at the answer. Jesus didn't invent it. He just simply repeated to the man what Moses said. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all your strength. He answered a law, he gave him a law question, and Jesus what? Gave him a law answer. Do you see that? No, 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 no. Uh, please, if you disagree with me, tell me you disagree. Do you see that? Yes, sir. I'm not stretching scripture. The question the man asked was very direct. Which is the greatest commandment in the world? And Jesus, who was born under the law, who lived under the law, who understood the law, gave the man a law answer to a law question. <laughs> These truths, we need to get them. Why is this a law answer? How many of you here can love God with all of your heart? With all of your soul? With all of your strength? Stand up if, I, if, if you're here. You are saying to me, ha, I'm born again. Praise God. Hallelujah. I love God with all of my heart, all of my soul, and all of my strength. How many of you are here? Because this is the greatest commandment of the law. And if you are living under the law and you cannot do this, you've already what? Failed. Come on, all of you guys, are you telling me you really don't love him with all of your heart? Uh, what is in the other parts of your heart? Daniel, what is in the other parts of your heart? You are a young girl, you should, I mean, you should be 100%. Go for Jesus, go for, go for Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. 100% your heart, 100% your soul, 100% your strength. You don't do anything else with your strength, but Jesus, 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 Jesus. If you eat, you've taken strength to eat, to eat away from Jesus. <laughs> if you are getting dressed, strength is gone. 
100%. Do you see how futile the law was? Do you see why God gave them this? To show them how hopeless, how impossible it is for man to ever attain to a place of loving God because at the end of the day, no one that's ever lived could ever do this. It's impossible. But that's what they wanted. That's what God gave them. Just so they can see, we are hopeless. The law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. The law was intended to help us know how helpless we are apart from Jesus. The law was to point to Jesus as the only solution that man has to access God. The good news is, the good news in Romans chapter 6, let's go there. So you really have to watch these things when you're reading. Because it's easy to read the scriptures and get yourself under condemnation because you cannot love God with all of your heart. You cannot love him with all of your strength. You cannot love him with all of your soul because you're a human being. You're weak. Romans chapter 6, verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Under grace. You are not under the law, you are under grace. Now that is if you are born again. If you are not born again, this is going to apply to you. But if you are born again, you are not under the law, the Bible says very clearly, but you are under grace. And being under grace means there is a total paradigm. There is a total change in the way we love God. Once you come under grace, Matthew 22 does not apply to you in that context any longer. Living under grace means that the way of loving God has changed 100%. We move from an achieving mentality to a receiving mentality. Under the law, Matthew 22, verse 37 that I just read, it was an achieving mentality. My heart, my strength, my mind, all of those things trying to attain to a place, a level to please God, to love God. I'm trying to achieve by my own strength and effort loving God. How well did we do doing that? How well? By the time you make the vow in your mouth, within two seconds of making the vow, you're already failed. Because the moment you say, God, I really want to love with my heart, with my body. By, by the time you finish breathing it, in that instant, you remember Super Bowl. <laughs> hey, Seattle lost. Why did they lose that game? Your strength is gone. Before I can finish saying it, I'm thinking of Kamisa's meat pies. I'm already in trouble. So under the law, it was about what I could achieve. 
But under grace, it's about what I can receive. Total, complete paradigm. Liberating. I am not trying to love God, human, human effort. God has changed it completely. Say, Mike, I know the frame in which you are made. I will not put this burden on you. My son lived under the law and went to the cross fulfilling the entire law. Under the law, loving God was based or proportionate to our performance. And he never got us anywhere. Now, loving God under grace. Under grace, people love God. We love God based on receiving his love for us. We love God now, not based on our human sweat or effort but by resting in the fact that he loves us. Let's go to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. And I'm hoping that God will help us to begin to read our Bibles through the grace lenses. Because if you put on the law lenses, you're going to keep on nailing yourself, keep on uh, struggling because you are trying to attain to something that you already are. Luke chapter 7. Ah. Verse 36. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him and he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold a woman in the city who was a sinner when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil, and stood at his feet behind him weeping, and she began to waste it, or rather, she began to wash his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head, and she kissed his feet and anointed them with fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, This man, if you are a prophet, would know who and what man of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Now, isn't it amazing that Jesus was not afraid to go to the Pharisee's house to eat? If, you, if we bring that to today, can, can, how many of us will accept such an invitation? We just saw the play, the drama. Perhaps we'll be afraid that by going there, they will contaminate us. But I'm saying to you folks, we are carrying someone within us that's greater and more powerful than any environment you can ever find yourself. And I'm saying to us, we need to have a living, breathing awareness of who we carry. You have to have it. It changes everything. When your environment is not right, you create a new one. Because the creator of the universe lives in you. So Jesus was not frightened by going to the house of the Pharisee. He wasn't. And Jesus answered and said to him, of course, he read the man's mind. He knew what he was thinking. Simon, I have something to say to you. 
call him by his first name. Not by his title, not by his label, by his first name. That name means hearing. Hear me, hearing. Call him by his destiny. I want you to hear something. I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with whom to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, and this is the key here, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. This is the point Jesus is making. When you understand the mag magnitude of his love for you, when you fully recognize and understand what you've been delivered from, and the mercy and the love that motivated him to deliver you from that thing, when you fully come to grip with it, your response will be to love him. I mean, this woman, look at what she did. Everything that was on her, she used to just bless and minister to you. Why? Our sins, which are many, were readily, freely forgiven. Do we recognize this morning what God forgave us from? Do we fully come to grip with the judgment that was upon us or due us as a result of sin for which he delivered us? Do we, all, do, do, do we, do we have any, any understanding of the hell that was waiting for us from which he snatched us? Do we understand what it cost him to do that. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. Paul says, Therefore, by the mercies of God, I beseech you, therefore, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. No, no, no. He didn't say to present your bodies first. No, no, no. He said, therefore, by the mercies of God. In other words, take cognizance. Take account of the mercies of God concerning you. Calculate it. Take the account. Tabulate how much mercy God has put on your side of the ledger. Having done that and calculated how much mercy was dispensed to your account, now as a result of that, perhaps you can present your body as a living sacrifice. The reason we are not able to present ourselves, we don't understand the mercy. God who is rich in mercy. Hey! The abundance of his mercy snatched you and I from the fire. 
But not only that, continues to keep us away from the fire and keep us on the straight and narrow so that we will be who is called us to be. That's what's happened to this woman. She recognized, wow, apart from Jesus, I am nothing. Apart from Jesus, I'm going to hell. Apart from Jesus, my life is doomed. Apart from Jesus, I have no future. Apart from Jesus, I'm in despair. Apart from Jesus, I have no peace. Apart from Jesus, I have no joy. Apart from Jesus, I'm a laughing stock. Apart from Jesus, nothing works in my life. Apart from Jesus, I have nothing, 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 nothing. Apart from Jesus, who is grace personified. So as far as she's concerned, the Pharisee may talk. The people around may gossip. Hey, you don't know the love that delivered me. I don't care what you are saying. I know from what I've been delivered. Therefore, I'm going to bless you, Lord. I'm going to do whatever I need to do. I don't care who's looking. I'm not looking for that matter. So now, if the greatest commandment under the law was what we read in Matthew 22. Let's now go and read grace equivalent of that commandment in John chapter 13. John chapter 13. Jesus gives us What should be the guiding commandment under grace? John 13, verse 34. A new commandment I give to you. Now notice, it causes a new commandment. Why is it new? Because this one supersedes the old. Under the law, Matthew 22, verses 34 through 37. Old commandment. Here he's about to go to the, to the cross and he's beginning to share with his disciples just before he goes to the cross. He says, listen, I know you are aware of the old commandment. In fact, not only am I aware of it, Jesus is saying to them, I am the word, I wrote it. I'm the logos who wrote you, who wrote you that old word. So I'm not discounting it, I fulfilled it. And in my authority as one that fulfilled it, I'm now giving you a new commandment that will supersede the old. Folks, listen. Let's bring it to today. I remember when cell phones first came out. My pastor back in the day, River of Life Church, I kid you not, in his car, he had one, it was this big. <laughs> that thing was this big. You pack it and pack it and just put it and plug it in the sky. And every time the phone rings, I mean, he takes his two hands. And we say, Pastor, keep your hands on the steering wheel. He has to take it to answer the phone. That's how big this thing was. And we thought we had a technological, technological breakthrough. And we did. For that time and season. Today, they are called smartphones. They are smarter than me. <laughs> Google, we said to me, speak, just speak. I said, Google, take me home. 
no, 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 no. And all of my direction, my house comes up. I said, what? <laughs> if he showed that to my grandfather, he would say, this is witchcraft. <laughs> How can a phone know your house? It is, it is a witch. Google, what is the birth date of Barack Obama? Bang, 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 bang. Ah, what kind of thing is this? <laughs> it's too smart. And they're smaller, they're smarter. So now, can you now insist that because the cell phone of the day of the old was this size, you will just insist that no matter what Apple brings out and Google brings out, you want that old one. And you are logging this old one around with you, and everybody carries something else. You'll be like a fool. The season has changed. The old is gone. The new is here. And under the new, Jesus says, I give you a new commandment that supersedes and makes the old obsolete. Under the old, it was your achievement that gained you favor with God. But under the new, God said, you know what? I've done it. I'm the one that's doing it. The only thing you need to do is to receive what I've done. A new commandment I give you that you love one another as I have loved you. So the greatest commandment today is that God loves you and me. End of story. And our physical mind fight these things. Because in this suit that you're wearing, and by suit I mean your body, you know the things that's happening, the weakness, how you, the pains that you have, headaches, diabetes, whatever it is, shortcomings, failures, and you're saying, no, 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 no. In spite of what, God cannot love this body like this. He can't love this diabetes. He can't love this man. He can't love this woman. This man did this. That woman did that. You don't understand. It is not human love. It is agape, unconditional, unfailing, unlimited, unconditional love of God. For out loud. It loves me and you unconditionally. And there's nothing you can do about it. His love for me and you is not with our permission. He didn't, done. he didn't have to take your permission to love you. And I'm telling us, the sooner we understand this and embrace this, the sooner we can be on our merry way. It's huge. It's huge. Let me read one scripture, Romans chapter 8. And then I need to move on and close this message. Romans 8. Ah. Is there any way you guys can do me a favor? Give me some grace there this morning. Can you give me that scripture, Romans 8.32, in Pastor Shina's translation? <laughs> Romans 8.32. Ah, you got it. You get a dollar for that. Look at what it says. If God didn't hesitate to put 
everything on the line for us. Embracing our condition. What condition was that? Sinful, hateful, mean, unforgiving, crazy, mad. Just put, put whatever you want to put under that condition. Embracing that condition and exposing himself to the worst. You are a betrayer. You are a liar. You are a compromise. And he exposed himself in spite of that to you. How do I know he did that? Daniel, he dined with Judas. The one who moments away will betray him. And while he was dining with him, he said, he called him friend. Friend! The one who will literally give him away. He said, you are my friend. He's exposing himself to the worst by sending his own son. Now this question. Is there anything else? He wouldn't gladly and freely do for us. Jesus. Am I the only one saying this? Hallelujah. If he committed his son, when I was the worst of sinners, chief of sinners, label me, put down the cap, the t-shirt, the shoe, chief sinner walking on the street. And he did not withhold his son. How much more now that you are born again? Will he not freely give you all things? That is why this love message just gets me. Because this is the truth. Now, so under grace, we know that God loves us. And as a result of that loss, love, rather, he commands us to love one another. Now, this is, this is the punchline. This is the punchline. You and I we received from God according to Romans chapter 5 verse 5. Please put it on for me. New King James, Romans 5 5. The Bible says hope does not disappoint. And that the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Don't miss this. Because now you can see and understand why Jesus gave us a new commandment. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. Jesus, how can you command me to love Derek? Or to love the homeless? Or to love the unlovely? Or to love anybody? How? How in the heck can I do that? He says, bank, I got it covered. I'm not asking you to love on a loveless tank. Bank, what I did for you, the day you got born again, I placed in you a deposit, an essence of who I am. Oh, bank, in case you forget, my name is love. I put in you Love. I loaded you up. 100% tank full with love. 
Fuck, that's what happened to you. Residing in you right now, in Fanyichuku, is love. He is in you. It makes it clear, even if he didn't give this verse, the fact that we know that Christ is our life should be sufficient. But he wants to go overboard to convince us because he knows we are scholars. And we ask all kinds of questions. So he said, for you scholars, if me is not sufficient, let me let you know, Romans 5.5 5 are poured in you full love. Love. Agape love. Sister Bosse, it's already in you right now. All the love you will ever need for your sojourn on earth is already given to you from day one. So on the authority of what I know has happened to you, based on the integrity of the fact that I know I have filled you full of love, now, PJ, you can love this person or that person. Because it's not you doing it now. It's my love in you. You are moving as me. I, I mean you, moving as you to love them. Does that make sense? So we have no love problem, no love issue. No. Say, Father, I receive the fullness of your love in me. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Amen. We don't lack love. We have love. In fact, I can go as much as to say we are love. Go to me, with me to 1 John 4. And don't forget what he said about love. He said, because by this shall all men know you are my disciples. By loving one another, all men will know you are my disciples. That's going to be the calling card. 1 John chapter 4. Verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. What's the implication? If I'm not loving, if I'm not loving, the point is, hey, perhaps, Jack, you don't know God. Verse 8, he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Verse 9, in this the love of God was manifested toward us that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God. Did you see that? Not that we love God. Did you see that? Because under the law, they tried to do it. They pretended like they're doing it. But John is telling us the truth. No, they did not love God. We don't love God but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, this is the key here. This is the key. This is the key. I did not love God. Even though, humanly speaking, I can say I love God, I love God. Humanly speaking, it's, it's a good talk to talk. But the day you got born again, and the day you realize how much God has delivered you from, and then you realize how much God is giving to you, what he has done for you, you begin to reciprocate. You begin to reciprocate. Oh, wow, God, 
oh, all of this just for me? Thank you. Thank you so much. And you begin to appreciate him and respond back to him in like kindness. Yes. He loved you. Now, the response of that love to you is you begin to respond back to him and loving him. But the way you love God, this is the punchline of this message, ladies and gentlemen. Here is the punchline. Daniel, the way you love God is not by how sanctimonious you look. It's not by how long your dress is. It's not by how you cover your cleavage so we don't see anything. It's not the latest wig you wear. No, it's not the shoes you put on. The way you love God is loving his creation. Loving people. Ah, ah, uh, uh, uh. why? For God so loved the world. That's who he is. That's what he did. There was no distinction. There was no exclusion from his love. So if I'm going to be like him as he is in this world, how can I now say God has filled me full with love and I only love selectively? I only love people that speak like me. I only love people that are like me, that have received. No, 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 no. The way we demonstrate the fact that we've received the love of God is loving others. If you want to know how much you love God, we need to see how much you love people. Kai is quiet in this place. Is it because as long as we keep it, prayer, Bible study, fasting, everybody's fine. We love God. But God said, listen to me. Listen, listen. Those disciplines are good. They are essential. But the way the world will know that we really belong to him is we have to love one another. It is when we love one another that we are demonstrating that we have received his love. We love one another unconditionally. We love one another selflessly. We love one another steadfastly. And we love one another by sanctifying love. Correcting to redeem, not correcting to punish. First Corinthians 13, that's another teaching. I won't, I, won't, I won't try to get into all of that today because I don't want to give you too much at one time. Suffice it to say, do you understand what I'm saying to us today? Under the law, you love God by trying to achieve through your mind, your heart, your body, and your soul. But under grace, God says, no, I'm going to give you first. I'm loving you. And then as a result of my love for you, because you've become a recipient and a receiver of my love, now you can love your brother. So he puts it on himself. First John 4, 19, we love God. Why? Because he first loved us. So God is saying, I'm not going to ask you to do something for which I'm not equipping you. I'm going to be the giver. I'm going to be the initiator. You just be the recipient. Folks, when, we, when this message fully becomes alive in us, number one, 
everybody around you will testify that something has happened to you. It's not you telling me that you now love God or God loves you. No, 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 no. Your testimony will not hold. It is those around you that says, man, something has happened to you. That's when it becomes a testimony. So how do I grow in this love? Now, at a later time, I'm going to come back and do 1 Corinthians 13. I don't want to overload us now. But suffice it to say, if you want to grow in the love of God, and you want to grow in your love for others, it's a very simple prayer. Very, very simple prayer. Brother Derek, all you pray is, Father, show me your love. That's it. That's it. Because you will not see or get the love of God by anything you do. That's what grace is all about. It's been done. But I need to behold it. So, Father, I know you love me. It is too clear from your scriptures. But for some reason, I'm blinded to the manifestation of this your love. Reveal it to me, Lord. Show it to me. You want to see that prayer in the scriptures? Let me show it to you so we can close. Because it's, it's Bible. Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. Verse 17. Ephesians 3, 17. That Christ may dwell in your heart through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in what? In love. What love is he talking about? Your love for him or his love for you? It's love for you. That's the only thing you and I can be rooted and grounded in. His love for us. That we may be able to comprehend with all these things what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. Why do I need this, Paul? Next sentence. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's the prayer we should be praying. Father, show me your love. Show me your love. Show me a dimension of your love. Show me. God, help me to get a revelation and understanding of your love for me. One last scripture, and then we go. First John. First John chapter 4. First John chapter 4. Look at verse 20. First John 4 20. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? Let us pray. Father, you are so wonderful. You are so, so, so wonderful. Lord, we, we want to thank you. We want to just thank you. Let's just thank God for a minute. Let's just thank him. 
Let's just bless God. Let's just bless him for his incredible love. This incredible love of God that passes all understanding. Father, we just thank you for this incredible love. In spite of our condition, in spite of what we were, you did not shy from us. You are not even ashamed of us. But you loved us unconditionally. Father, we just embrace that love. Afresh and anew. Lord, for some of us, we've been bruised, battered, abused, compromised, defiled by our humanity, friends, loved ones, those who had authority over us. They have so bruised us, we've almost lost the meaning of you loving us because we judge your love by human experience. And so, Father, I pray for a wholesale healing for our souls and our minds that the blood of Jesus, Hebrews 9.14, will cleanse our consciences from every dead work, every pain, every wound that we may have experienced in the hand of so-called love. Father, in the name of Jesus, we expunge those pains we cancel those experiences. We pray for healing, Lord God, in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord God, that we are healed. We are healed by the power of your blood. And we are free to receive your love, to experience your love, to bask in your love. Thanking you for that love right now, Lord God, in the name of Jesus. We are no longer limited to receiving love because now we know fully how much you love us. And so, God, thank you. Thank you for your love. And God, because you love us, we are now free to love our brothers and our sisters unconditionally. In spite of themselves, in spite of their faults, in spite of their shortcomings, we extend what we have received. Freely we have received. Freely we are given, Lord God, in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father God. We bless your name. We thank you. And Father, if there's anyone here right now under the sound of my voice that does not know you, that's not born again, that needs to be recreated in Christ Jesus by the powerful Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are nudging on them to signify so that they also may partake of this fellowship and receive the newness of life. So if there's anybody here that says, Pastor, I just want to uh, give my life to Jesus, if you just raise up your hand, I'll pray with you very quickly. 